This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I think you're in for something special this week, as we have a very talented Isaac Fornvis. Uh, so, Isaac, do you want to say hi real quick? Hello, everyone. Do you want to give yourself a quick introduction, because you have some interesting stuff going on for you? Uh, sure. I am a horror author, first and foremost. I've got uh, uh, several short tales of dark comic horror uh, on Amazon and other places. I also have a collection out called Road Kills that contains the majority of those short tales that I put out there. Um, I call it comic horror because there's an element of humor to it. Um, when some people see that tagline, they think comic books. It is not comic books. <laughs> it, is, it is short stories with, uh, with both horror and humor combined. The perfect combo. It's not the same, but horror comedy is my favorite movie genre. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. My my favorite movie of all time is Fright Night, which is is more horror than comedy, but has enough comedy in it that you enjoy it, but it doesn't take yeah. away from the thrill. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of what I aspire to um, in terms of of the ratio of horror to to comedy. Yes, uh, I've not actually seen Fright Night. I need to get that's on my list. I love the 1985 um, yeah. version is is the one I'm I'm speaking of. I always forget that there was a there was a remake, which was not you know bad, but um, not the same. So. Not I didn't know there was a remake. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a remake. There's a remake. <laughs> yeah, I need one that's older than me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we're going to be talking about capital punishment today, aren't we? Yes, we are. And um, and I wanted to point out before we uh, we start on that, that I chose this topic um, and not to be political about it. I, I have opinions on it just like everybody does, but but I'm not talking about it um, in a pro or con way. The thing that fascinates me about the topic is, number one, all the creative ways people have come up with to destroy each other um, yep. over <laughs> over the centuries, and and as a writer of horror, that fascinates me. And um, number two is the types of crimes that people actually get executed for, um, which is in the United States, it can be murder or it can be treason. Um, mm-hmm. More likely to be murder than treason, but it hasn't always been that way. So. Um, so yeah, that's that's what fascinates me about it, and um, I don't want anybody to to take a pro or con opinion from me on this. Don't pin me any missives or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's fine. I'm pretty sure we've had plenty of it on the show already. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're both going to talk about it actually um, because after after the first break, it's sort of being a seven topic. We're going to have you read a part of you on your stories, aren't we? Yes. Yes, Maybe. we are. Yes. Um, so that's going to be fun. And I have no idea which one it is so far. So that's going to be interesting. <laughs> uh, so I'm, gonna be, I'm excited to hear it. Awesome. I don't think there's much else to... Oh, actually, um, for our Patreon, we've made some, I made some quick adjustments. So if you're interested in that, I'll... Essentially, it's just like I've switched the parts of the free, $3 tier and $10 tier. So um, you can get early episodes cheaper now. Um, I least just made the digital content cheaper. <laughs> um, but yeah, so on that, I think we're going to cut to, well, I think we've got an advert for one of your stories, don't we? One of your books. Um, yeah, I've, I've got an ad for, uh, for Road Kills. Cool. So we'll, yeah, we'll throw that on. And um, now we'll be back with a talk about capital punishment. This is horror author Isaac Thorne. 
Do you love Halloween? I have a new collection of short tales of dark horror that I guarantee will set you on edge. Road Kills features 11 short tales of dark comic horror and one spine-tingling screenplay. Right now you are safe. Just don't forget about what's waiting for you between the pages of my new book. Road Kills is available for order now from Amazon.com and other retailers in either paperback or ebook formats. It's there. It's waiting. For you. Enjoy the ride. And we are back. So. Isaac, we have Captain Punishment to talk about. Yes, we do. And I was, I spent a little bit of time researching this and was surprised by um, a lot of the things I found. I didn't realize, for example, that, that historians have actually traced capital punishment back to the 17th century, or the, I'm sorry, the 18th century BC. Mm-hmm. Um, where it was first codified and uh, it's the code and I'm going to butcher this name. I know I am. It's the code of King Hammurabi of Babylon. Yes. I've been, I was reading about that just before this actually. Yeah, that's that. And that was the, the first time the death penalty was actually written into law that we know about. Mm -hmm. Um, There were 25 different crimes that were punishable by death according to this code, and not a single one of them was murder. Huh. I didn't there, yeah, there, there was no, no uh, death penalty for murder. Among the crimes that you could be put to death for were slandering someone, mm-hmm. um, entrapping someone, and there was another one that I... Uh, that I actually saw somebody translated the, the original code into English. Yeah. And uh, so I've been, I've been looking through the, uh, the 256 different rules here to find the ones that were crimes that were punishable by death. And, um, and there, they are in today's terms, at least in the United States, sometimes, minor offenses of what we would call, you know, misdemeanors or, or even if it was a felony, it would be a felony that someone would be fined for. And, um, you know, not, uh, not necessarily jailed or, or Mm -hmm. put to death. Certainly. Yeah. Like there was a lot of, um, quite interesting stuff when I was reading about it as well. Like, um, it's not exactly like related to the, uh, capital punishment part. It's linked because, um, it's also one of the earliest types of um, law that had the presumption of innocence and like gave both the accused and accuser the chance to give evidence. And on top of that, which sounds great, but you also had the fact that it, the code gave justice in according to the class of site you were in. And Babylonian site had three castes, which were the property owners, the freedmen and slaves. And punishment for assaulting someone with a higher class was much worse <laughs> this one I'm just taking straight from Wikipedia. Like the example they've used is um, a doctor killing a rich patient. So if a doctor killed a rich patient, he'd have his hands cut off. However, if he killed a slave, he'd only have to give uh, financial restitution. It had some ver- some very pro-, pro and con parts here. Like if if you're looking for, if you're looking for a, for a modern lens, yeah, it's like it still definitely um, influences modern like modern uh, punishment systems. Yeah, there was some classism there um mm. if you were and as far as the death penalty is concerned concerned if you were nobility your death would be simpler and more efficient than mm-hmm. if you were not so so i found that interesting and it's also worth noting that you on top of the classroom there was also the uh, sexist point where you had a um, woman receiving punishments that males can yes uh, especially like adultery uh as um women's women could be punished quite harshly for it I'm not entirely sure what the exact punishments are. I don't have it written down right now for some reason. I'm sure I wrote it down at some point, but um, either way, I don't have it now. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's been a bit all over the place at the moment with my uni stuff. <laughs> Uh, some point I'm going to start talking about rocks, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, however, men, men were allowed to have affairs with servants and slaves. So a bit of a difference. Absolutely. So, um, Absolutely. But, and this kind of stuff kind of went on through all kinds of cultures. But anyway, we're talking about capital punishment. Uh, I was also, I was also uh, fascinated to learn that the, the first recorded death sentence was in the 16th. 16th the first recorded death sentence that they've been able to find was actually two centuries after the death penalty was codified. And um, the person who was, was um, sentenced was a member of nobility and was ordered to take his own life rather than being executed by an executioner. And he was uh, to be executed because he was accused of practicing magic. Which, you know, again, is not a serious crime in uh, modern civilized society. Yes. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of um, punishments for magic, witchcraft, etc. over the years. Well, I think uh, in one of our early episodes, we talked about, um, I've forgotten his name, the Witchfinder General uh, from England, who was basically one of the guys that um, did a lot of the witch trials in England. Matthew Hopkins, that's the one. Ah. Um, and worth noting that w- the witch the general title was one was a title that he gave himself. <laughs> <laughs> he and invented he, his own job. Yep. You know what's better than that? It, if I'm right, it was um, he, rich, he was he originally gave, he gave himself the title Witchfinder, and then he promoted himself to Witchfinder General. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he could deputize uh, Witchfinders then, since no, that, he was Witchfinder General. I don't think anyone else actually had the title. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure, uh, and I'm pretty sure, it, like it wasn't exactly, like, it wasn't government issued at all. Like, wow, like, he just kind of came along to town and was like, "Yeah, I'm a witch by the general. That's a witch." <laughs> so, wow, um, yeah, there was a lot of um, character punishment in that. Like, there's a lot of witch trials of all sorts across the world. Um, yes, England, you have the ones in Salem in the US. You have the Spanish Inquisition in Spain, obviously. And all those were punishing uh, magic, essentially. And it's incredible. You think about magic as as we know it, and of course there there are you know magic based religions still, mm-hmm. um, and they do you know get persecuted in in other ways. But nobody's out trying to put them to death these days. There are some um, some places that actually do that still. Um, I I believe. Are they? Um, I believe some places in India actually have that. It's not like a codified law, but um, like in some of the more remote areas, uh, you do hear you do hear about witch hunts and stuff still happening. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And also, just uh, going back a bit, I did actually I did actually um, find that bit that I've written down <laughs> about um, adultery, Babylonian law for the Hammurabi um, code. Okay, it's written. If the if the wife of a man has been caught lying with another man, they shall bind them and throw them into the waters. If if the owner of the wife would save his wife, then in turn the king could save his servant. So wow. yeah, it's uh, there were quite like, there were all sorts of like that. One of my <laughs> one of my uh, my favorite creative, and I say favorite meaning I I'm impressed by the creativity of it. Um, that I came across was one from the fifth century, uh, the Romans, which who of course are, are most famous for, uh, crucifixion. Of course. But they had a, um, a specific death penalty for, um, the murder of a parent. Yes. Whether it was, yes. Whether it was mother or, or father, I assume, um, my research just said parent what they would do is they would put the accused in a sack that also had a dog, a rooster, a viper, and an ape in it, and they would <laughs> they'd bundle them together and throw them in water. I okay, that one I hadn't heard of actually. Yeah, and I I I just can't imagine how that um, that is not the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Also, that I'm pretty sure that would require a lot of animal rustling. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming they weren't sedated. 
not 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 only is it an unpleasant way to die, but it had to be a pain in the ass to put together mm-hmm. if somebody was accused of murdering their parents. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like the Romans did enjoy their uh, creativity; they killed a lot of dudes. Yeah, they, they 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 were like I feel like like some ancient civilizations ended up being famous for their executions, which right. probably not a good sign, <laughs> right? You probably didn't. You probably don't want to go to that period in a time machine. <laughs> yeah, like I believe it was the Mongols uh, jumping up to there, where I believe for an on, like for killing important people and uh, to give an honorable death, they'd wrap them in a sack and, and run over them in horses, so they oh wouldn't so they, so they wouldn't spill blood. <laughs> like I'm sure there are better ways to do it. <laughs> Better ways to clean up the uh, the mess, especially yeah. for no, for royalty, because um, it would see, be seen as like inauspicious to kill to spill noble like royal blood, right? And because um, Mongolians were also very known for um, counter punishment, even when the even when it was punishment for living in an enemy city, yeah, probably absolutely. especially so for that. Um, I can't remember that town it was or city where um, they refused to. I can't remember if they refused to surrender or they killed a messenger asking for surrender or someone there, but um, basically they did that. And then uh, I think it was Genghis Khan uh, who basically just raised the entire city and executed everyone. Because their leader was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And um, another interesting guy was Draco, if you're aware of him. uh, I'm not aware of him. From ancient Greece in Athens, uh, 650-600 BC. Uh, where he was basically the first recorded legislator of Athens, and he wrote a lot of the first laws for there. This is also where you get the term draconian. Oh, wow. Which, to this day, refers to unforgiving rules or laws. Right. Like, he got elected and stuff. He was democratically elected, but um, obviously citizens weren't really that aware that he'd established laws this harsh. Right. And yeah, so he put in the draconian constitution which is the first constitution of Athens that was written. And there are a few things interesting about this guy, actually, um, before we get into the homicide bit in particular. Like, he made it... So he wrote, he wrote laws on wooden tablets and preserved them uh, on steels in the shape of three-sided pyramids so that anyone who could read wouldn't be able to understand the laws, which is quite different for this type of period. Now, you still have some pe- like people that actually had money being able to read and stuff so a lot of people so this would be one of the most well-known laws at this time i think it was the first ones that were actually uh preserved i'm not sure that may be a lie but yeah so um by the way it's it like things that online seem to they still call them innovations i'm not sure how it is in relation to being the first people to do it right by the way it was still they were still considered innovations yeah instead of like just having oral laws known to just the special classes these laws were written and made known to all citizens and um, they also distinguished between murder and involuntary homicide, uh, which is very uh, different. That's very modern. Yeah. However, the laws were pretty harsh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, though it was more lenient for those owing debts to members of the lower class, but if a debtor was of a lower status than his creditor, he was forced into slavery. However, for non-debts, natural crimes. Right. I'm going to make you guess what a... Oh, an example of a low of a low crime for a for death punishment. Uh, Just, I'm gonna say slander. I'm not sure if that one's actually on there. Actually, how like minor stealing would have been one. You ha- you have death punishment for stealing a cabbage. Specifically, stealing a cabbage. Um, apparently, that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's specifically that, but uh, like when I was googling it, it came up in the Criminal Justice in England and the United States book. At least in that, it, said it states cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, incredible. I'm not sure if they, if they like, back then they officially just said cabbage. I think it was just, <laughs> I think it was just like, minor, minor theft. Minor theft. Though all, pretty much all laws were repealed in the 6th century uh, BC by a guy called Solon, with the exception of the homicide law. Mm. Now, the homicide law, basically, a lot of this, like, translated and from fragmented inscriptions, but from what um, it seems to mean is basically... From for homicide, of course, you get death. However, if a one of the possible translations also uh, is that even if a man not intentionally kills another, he's exiled. So uh, that's the part that that separates the so it's exile over death, which seems like 
something quite lenient oh, since you get death penance so much less. Sure. Is like, yeah, sure, just kick me out. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I would rather be kicked out than killed. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, of course, you'd have to be able to prove that was, that was unintentional. Sure. And um, like another one uh, from from Greece was, um, and it's from the same book, was um, the Greeks favoring the wheel as the performed punishment. Like in medieval times, you had the breaking wheel, um, which I was in like um, some of the recent episodes that were mentioned, where you literally just put someone on the wheel and then just like, then break the limbs like, by using the spokes as leverage. However, the Greeks, they favored the wheel as their form of punishment as they strapped them to the wheel and whirled it around until they were dead. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so they are, are, do they die from dizziness? or I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> it, that, like, this is one sentence from this that I read. Uh, it doesn't really go into more than that. <laughs> Just wild around till death. <laughs> I was interested to find that the the first ruler who um, actually opposed the death penalty was William the Conqueror. Okay, in the tenth century. Um, it surprised me, you know, before that point, you, you hadn't really seen anyone sensitive to the taking of yeah. life for anything. Um, well, actually, first of all, before we go into that, I, do, I, want to, um, I want to say what, um, there was a guy called Plutarch who was talking about the Draconic Code and Death Penalty, mm-hmm. uh, who was also from Greece, maybe a few hundred years later. Uh, he said that, it said that Dracon himself, when asked why he'd fixed the punishment of death for most offences, answered that he considered these lesser crimes to deserve it, and he had no greater punishment for more important ones. <laughs> so death for everyone. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> Hence his name is still known to this day. <laughs> well, you know, it makes sentencing easy. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, um, that's you. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's all right. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Death to all. Yep. And William the Conqueror, on on the other hand, was the opposite. He um, he would not take life um, or didn't want to, no matter the the crime. Uh, so nobody was to be hanged or otherwise executed for any crime. But he did allow mutilation. So. Okay. Thieves could have their hands cut off and, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And that, I think in that period, mutilation is probably, you know what, okay, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, just, I think like, that's a deterrent. Yeah. Like, thank you. I think at that point it's like more of a thank you for not crucifying me kind of thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, still not a great way to go. <laughs> sure. Like, Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure plenty of people still died from that. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure they weren't they weren't exactly the most surgically efficient. <laughs> right. I mean, if your executioner or if your mutilator was not uh, skillful and Mm-mm. you know hits the wrong artery or something, then uh, then you're gone anyway. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that was one more interesting one actually. Uh, did he do any films in that period, or um, was that about what you had for him? Yeah, that's about all I have for him, honestly, okay. was that he was just opposed to it and, and used mutilation instead. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I, was, I was just didn't want to skip ahead before Valt sure. um, let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, like in, a, in, a, in one of the other early episodes we did, um, we talked about Ling Chi, mm-hmm. uh, which was from China. And it's more, better known in the West as Death by a Thousand Cuts. Oh, yeah, so that was like from 900 C to, um, and it wasn't banned until 1905. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. And it was generally seen as especially severe cr- crime punishment, such as treason and stuff like that. And it's, it isn't exactly a death by thousand cuts as it's made quite famous, as it's famously known as in the West, but it is still a lot of cuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's essentially what they do is, um, that's good. They would they tie someone to a wooden frame, usually in a public place, and then um, cut bits of them off in off the body in multiple slices. And it would be used for stuff like mass treason, murder, patricide, matricide, murder of employers, etc. Of course, emperors use it to threaten people and occasionally or minor offenses. And 
Oh, yeah, it was episode 13, Fairy Tales and Heavenly Candles. <sighs> that one we talked about um, Zhang Shanzong, who was a Chinese emperor, who was quite notorious, to say the least. So, like, if you're interested in the capital punishment, he's one to look up. <laughs> All right, I will. I will. Yeah. I haven't... Uh... I, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, he he was known for using this uh, death by a thousand cuts as part as one uh, of the things, and he drastically increased the rate of it like during his war. <laughs> but um, like like I said once again, like for people with money and stuff, you could like you'd, it would be quite common to pay an executioner to finish it quickly. Mm. So yeah, but generally it would be like cuts to the arms, legs, and chest before uh, amputation of limbs and. And then decapitation or stab to the heart. Um, but if the crime was less serious or the executioner was merciful slash bribed, the first cut would usually be to the throat, which would help kill a lot easier. Wow. So uh, a lot of it was dismemberment after death, but uh, still not a great way to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was usually between 15 and 20 minutes, but it could last longer. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I think that was the last one I had to bring up, actually. At the moment, well, I've got a I've got a question for you. Yes, um, I was also looking at all the creative ways they uh, they found of killing people in um, Henry VIII's time, mm-hmm. um, and I found an estimate that uh, that he killed up to seventy two, or there were not him personally, but there were up to seventy two thousand people put to death during his reign and one of the uh one of the things they used to do was put you to death if you didn't confess to the crime that they were going to put you to death for in the first place (laughs) (laughs) so if you knew you were accused of a crime and you knew that the penalty was death would you confess to the crime and take death or would you not confess and maintain your innocence and take death? I think I'd confess to the crime. <laughs> like, honestly, like, honestly, like I think I'd take that over torture. <laughs> like, uh, it's like, why bother? Yeah. It's like, I don't know about that one. I didn't know that, that statistic at all. It's like, but I do know a lot of, um, a lot of punishments did tend to be, and you better, like you, like, you probably should uh, confess because it's not going to be great if you don't. <laughs> I think you've had stuff like that going on quite a fair bit. Just the whole like being accused of something and then killing them anyway. Right. Or trying to force them to confess. So yeah, it's not the greatest. What <laughs> <laughs> there are other ones you want to bring up actually? Um, the only other thing I really have that, that I was fascinated by was and I learned this through watching a cartoon and <laughs> I learned it through watching Bob's burgers. Mm. Um, and then I researched it to see if it was actually true. Um, <laughs> there's an episode of Bob's burgers where they reenact uh, Thomas Edison's electrocution of an elephant to prove that electricity could be used as an execution method. Yes. And I didn't know that that was a true story, but he actually literally did uh, electrocute Topsy the elephant in order to prove, you know, which these days would itself be a crime. Mm. So, uh, I mean, you wouldn't be put to death for it, but still. Yeah, it's like, um, I think it was was more recent, I think. I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was the 20th century. Uh, I think it was like in the 50s or something. I'm not entirely sure. So don't quote me on this. But um, there was an elephant hangs for murder. Yes, they they hanged the, they hanged the elephant from a crane. How in the hell do you hang an and elephant? It a, and it was a yeah, it was a a public hanging of an elephant. Wow, that's incredible. Yes, it was Mary the elephant who weighed five tons, um, and it was in 1916 that it happened. Wow. And yes, yeah, she killed a trainer and uh, was hanged nearby Tennessee in. Um, 1916. Wow. Yeah. So uh, there's there's actually there's actually a picture of it as well. <laughs> where in Tennessee did that happen? Did, did um, it was nearby Irwin. Yeah, sure. I don't know where that is. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> but she killed a trainer in Kingsport, which is more known. Oh, I do. Yeah, I do know where Kingsport is. Yeah. Where are you? Whereabouts are you actually? I didn't actually ask. Uh, I am from Middle Tennessee, uh, around the uh, 
uh, Nashville, Franklin. Area. Okay, cool. So right in the heart. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of people around Nashville at the moment with a uh, crime con going on. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm all the way in England. <laughs> <laughs> and probably couldn't afford even if I was in America. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's an expensive trip yeah. for, a, for a convention. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so most stuff I have, uh, of course, you still have capital punishment today in, in a lot of places. Right. Um, like in Saudi Arabia is quite well known for it. Um, you also have like a, f- a few, quite a few countries in Africa have it. Um, it's, it's still in the United States in yeah. some states. Uh, I mean, it's a state by state thing. I, there's no federal mm-hmm. um, death penalty, but um, but depending on what state you're in, you could get it. Mm. It's all like the capital punishment thing will always be a like I don't think I don't see us ever not talking about that. Right. Um, for example, um, in Pakistan, um, they had a six-year, um, so they stopped um, capital punishment for a while, and um, they lifted this in 2014 after six years um, after this Peshawar uh, school massacre. Which, wow. Uh, where 132 students and nine members of staff uh, of the Army Public School and the Greek College Peshawar were killed by Taliban terrorists. Uh, and since then, Pakistan's executed over 400 convicts. Like, it's one of those things that will, I, I think will keep coming, going on and off for at least a couple, at least a few centuries. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we've had it, you know, like I said, we've had it codified for... Mm-hmm. At least four thousand years in yeah. in some places, and you know, possibly longer than that that we just don't know about. So. Yeah, it's like it's. I think it's the one of the reasons it's so much less common in the West is because of how um, it's just because of how ingrained the internet is in our society nowadays. Yeah. Um, so people can people can actually research it freely, um, which I think helps. I think that tends to um, change opinion, public opinion a lot on it. But of course, like. Like with the like with school masks and stuff, you you will always get people. You always get the conversation coming up again anytime. Some like pretty much any time right. a person commits a atrocity, like there'll always be people talking about it. Yeah, well, and it's on on the news in the United States. It's one of the first things they address when someone is is captured and charged with a crime like that. Is um, you know, will the prosecutor seek the death penalty? Yeah you know if the death penalty is available in that state so so yeah yeah because um in england it's not it's not a thing so yeah so the last execution in england was in 64 oh wow Um, so quite a while quite a while back Um, i think that was that was probably about the time that the united states decided that uh that that public executions were cruel and uh and unusual punishments so they they still allowed them, but they were made private from then on. Yeah, um, that was um, Anthony Allen and Gwyn Owen Evans, who were executed for the murder of John Allen West on the 7th of April that year, and were executed on the 13th of August 1964, and they were hanged. But yes, so I think that's... Should we um, cut to music and get you get a story going? So we don't... Sure. So we can talk about this all day, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's... Like just talking about it makes me keep thinking of more and more things. Oh, I should... Right, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it's a long history and and, uh, and a gruesome topic. So <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure like Cow's punishment is easily going to keep coming up in this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, it'd be impressive if I managed to avoid it. I think um, it's go- it's going to be a thing that's kind of just ingrained in human society for. I don't. I'm not sure if it's ever going to stop. Yeah, honestly, it's just too many people, you know. Right. Um, but right. So we'll uh, cut to some music and come back with um, one of your stories, right? Okay. Because otherwise, we're going to talk about Cows of Punishment for a four-hour episode. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so right. So we'll see you in a few seconds, okay. and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. So, Isaac, you have a story for us. I have an excerpt from uh, one of my short tales that appears in my Roadkills collection. It also airs um, regularly on Scream Radio if you want to hear the entire thing, and that's scrmradio.com. Yeah. Cool. We'll do the plugs at the well, we'll do the plugs in the outro and stuff. So uh, okay, you can. So anything you want to plug in, plug at the end, you'll have plenty of time to do at the end as well. And that way. People listening can have it all in one place. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, cool. So, do you want to say about about it, or um, do you just want to go straight in? It's up to you. you... Uh, let's just uh, let's go straight into it. Um, the excerpt I'm going to read is not that long. Yeah, uh, it's maybe about maybe six pages. All right. Uh, this is safety first. Cool. Matt's heart sank. No one. Not even Matt could accuse his mission partner Grant of being a lousy shot. The smoke-encrusted black hole in what had been Matt's PTT, his sole remaining link to mission control outside of the lander, was proof enough of that. The tangy odor of the electrical burn singed the hair in his nostrils, even inside the thin environmental suit he wore. That was bad news. His suit was probably punctured as well, which meant his supply of oxygen was dwindling at a faster rate than it normally would. What he didn't have time to inhale was pouring out of the hole in his suit and into the moon's atmosphere, where it was of no use to him. It wouldn't be long before the moon's poison atmosphere crept in and entirely depleted the supply. That meant he didn't have long to live. That was worse news. Earth scientists had guessed that the thin atmosphere of this desert moon contained carbon dioxide as its primary compound, so explorers would not be able to breathe in it without an external supply or manufacture of oxygen. There also was, they thought, strong evidence of some other yet unknown molecule swirling about in the dust storms that scarred the moon's surface on a regular basis, thus the environmental suits. The WGPSN eventually named this place Samothé because they didn't want it confused with the other moon called Nereid, even though this one fit the description of the mythical figure better. Matt typically just referred to the place as Neptune's butthole. Technically, all he and Grant needed to move about on the moon's surface was an external oxygen supply or a way to manufacture it from the moon's CO2. The atmosphere was thinner than Earth, but there was enough of it and enough gravity to prevent the duo from being crushed or floating away. The suits themselves should not technically have been necessary. They mainly wore them as an extra security measure against whatever untold havoc that mystery molecule might wreak against their vulnerable human bodies. The problem, then, was that the oxygen supply system was built into the suits themselves to make them lighter. Instead of using tanks and mouthpieces like scuba divers used to wear, or a massive backpack-style CO2 scrubber. The lander was a good quarter mile away from him now, he and Grant its only crew. His partner's enraged, grimacing face shone down from the top of the sheer cliff wall above him. Grant's right arm dangled over the drop as well, his silver-gloved hand still gripping the weapon that Matt had smuggled long on the trip. Unfortunately, Grant had discovered the blaster before Matt himself could make use of it. The older man's cheeks were red, and Matt thought he could see droplets of perspiration drooling down the plexiglass face of his helmet. The chase across Samothay's landscape had been long and painful. In spite of Grant's favor with the brass who had handed him this mission, Matt knew his old frenemy what really wasn't in great shape these days. A few too many burgers and fries and far too little exercise had taken a toll on the once golden boy. Matt who was no one's golden boy, had managed to keep after himself, however. Even these 15 years after he'd graduated from the academy, it had been probably 20 years or more since Grant had strode across the stage in his cap and gown. Matt had easily outrun him over this harsh, dusty, and deserted landscape, and had known from the start that he would. Then he had had that moment of weakness when he'd looked back over his shoulder, and then that misstep along the crater wall. Now here he stood, trapped on a small ledge just an arm's length out of Grant's reach, the memory fresh in his mind of the edge of the shelf breaking away when he landed there, the rocks at the precipice crumbling away beneath his feet and tumbling end over end into the crater before him. He could escape another blaster shot in a fashion similar to that rock, he thought, if he didn't care to live through it. In fact, there was nowhere to go but the depths of the crater, the bottom of which he couldn't even see from this height, 
and his suit was bleeding precious air. Great. Just perfect. Okay, so maybe he'd brought this on himself. Maybe Grant had suspected all along that Jill was planning to leave his fat ass for Matt when they finally landed back at the station hidden in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter after this year's-long excursion into the outer reaches. Was it really worth Matt's death to him? Not to mention Grant's own court-martial and dishonorable discharge that would inevitably result from the murder. Perhaps it was. At least that was what Matt thought he could read in Grant's red-rimmed and bloodshot eyes, which glared down at him from above the crater, above the ledge. And if that wasn't enough, there were his angry, laborious breaths, fogging his visor like smoke from a dragon's nostrils. Wait, fogging his visor? Maybe Grant's suit had been punctured as well. The moon's rocks were jagged, and some had been sharpened to razor edges after eons and eons of superstorms, with no vegetation to call the winds. He had taken pictures of some of them for Jill's solar system geology art collection that she curated back on the station. Jill. Jill didn't know any of this was happening. She fully expected both Matt and Grant to return safely to the asteroid belt in a few years, where they would resume their little love triangle until everyone felt comfortable enough to bring the awkward situation to an emotional head. Neither she nor Grant could have possibly known about the blaster when he had smuggled it aboard. Matt's plan had been to sneak up on Grant while he was digging in the moon's soil or squatting to take a shit. He'd pick up one of the jagged moon rocks and slice open the older man's head with it, make it look like Grant had simply taken a tumble and banged his noggin on the wrong end of the moon's sharp rocks. Matt would relay the report of what happened to Mission Control, who would instruct him to bury the body and continue alone if he could, or abort and start the long trip home if he could not. It's something every explorer knew was a possibility when they signed up, although it had only ever happened once before, and no one had questioned those circumstances. He'd only brought the blaster along as a backup, in case the time was never right, or he lost his nerve, or he was somehow magically overpowered by Grant. It might be harder to cover up a blaster shot as an accident if future missions happened to uncover Grant's body, but at least the job would get done. And it might be a good decade before they sent explorers out this way again. Support for these types of excursions had waned among the public way back on Earth over the years. They were more interested in using taxpayer dollars to clean up their own drinking water sources than finding possible new places to live. Sometimes he wondered if some wingnut new president might pull the plug on them from the home world and just leave them stranded forever in that asteroid belt. Matt had set his standard-issue explorer's bag right next to Grant's identical one at the foot of the lander's entry ramp while they were unloading for the day's work, but he'd forgotten to stow his camera the day before. It was still sitting by his bunk, so he went back to the lander to retrieve it. His short absence meant Grant had been the first to start searching a bag for tools. Grant must have opened the wrong bag first. He must have seen the blaster, put two and two together, and grabbed it for himself. That didn't explain how he had known about Matt and Jill in the first place. Maybe Matt had been talking in his sleep again. Or maybe Grant only suspected because of the puppy-like way Matt and Jill had been behaving around each other before the mission. But none of that really mattered now. He would never see Jill again. And that's where I'm stopping. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that was good. Thank um, you. I didn't, yeah, cool. I was expecting the sci-fi part, actually. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is the only story in Roadkills that has a science fiction component. Yeah, because so, all the other ones I've had uh, went sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been writing now? I, uh, I've been writing my whole life, but I published my first short story in end of 2012, beginning of 2013, somewhere around there. Um, that one was called Nobody Was Here, and it's, yeah. it's still available singly out on Amazon in addition to, to being included in the collection. Yeah. So I, I saw on um, IMDb when I, was trying to, when I was trying to look up the other stuff you've done. Uh, in, in the meantime, and I was like, and uh, it said you doesn't like the TV thing for Diggum. I did a screenplay for Diggum. the uh, The information on IMDb is a, a little wrong. Um, it's it's a screenplay. It's not been produced. Okay, cool. Um, but it would. It, my intention with it was for it to be like part of an anthology TV series or something like that, like an episode of tales from the crypt or tales from the dark side or something like that. That's kind of what I had in mind. Awesome. Well, we've still got some time actually. So um, do you want to, do you want to talk about um, actually like how you make things scary or horror show? How you make things scary. I I know that's a really broad thing, but I'm like um, stuff that you find particularly that works particularly well. Does that make sense? 
Sure. Um, what I actually, what I try to do is, um, is take things from the everyday that, that either frustrate people or, or that, um, that they can specifically identify with Mm. and kind of try to take that to the nth level. Yeah. Example, I, I have a story called decision paralysis about um, an older woman, a grandmother who kind of loses her mind um, basically as a result of being inconvenienced in traffic and the grocery store Yeah, on top of, uh, of everything else. She just kind of loses her ability to make decisions anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of where I go for it. I, I try to, I try to connect things that the reader might have experienced and just turn up the volume on it. Okay. That's a good way to do it, I think, actually. But yeah, is there anything else you want to go, uh, talk about for your, for your um, just about your writing or whatever else you do? Uh, you, might as well, you might as well use this instead of a plug section. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I'm working on other stuff constantly. I, I had a regular release schedule for a while where I was, I was putting, you know, one thing out in the spring and one thing out in the fall. But, uh, after I released road kills, I released plant separately almost two weeks later. And, uh, so I'm rather than releasing something this spring, I'm, I'm working on something else for the fall. So okay, it's constantly working. Yeah. Oh man. I'm I'm gonna look forward to like seeing more of your stories. Thank you very much. I'll definitely pick some up when I actually have money. <laughs> <laughs> right, my my wish list gets ever longer. <laughs> yeah, well, mine too. You know, and I yeah. and once once I get the once I get the things I uh, I want, then they have to go into my queue for actually sitting down <laughs> to read. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so I like the Scream Radio stuff. It just like, I can just have it on. Like, yes, absolutely. Um, you absolutely. get some great horror, you get some great horror stories in there. There's Thank you. A lot of people doing it right on screen. There, there are Tracy, um, who is the station owner, um, has pulled together just this huge variety of voices to do shows on there. And she, I believe, she has. I don't know if she's still doing interviews, but for a while she was doing um, interview shows as well. So it's not just stories yeah um that are on the uh the station but uh, but a, a large portion of it is and uh we've got some really talented narrators there yeah so i've noticed that there have been quite a lot of people that i actually follow from screen radio on twitter as well but yeah it's super cool stuff but anyway i think on that we'll cut to music come back with an outro okay so we'll be right back And we are back. Um, that's all, Isaac. Was there anything else you wanted to say? Oh, um, just that uh, if you want to catch up with me, you can find me on isaacthorn.com, and that's Thorn with an E. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Isaac R Thorn, and same on Facebook. You can hear my show um, every day on ScreamRadio.com, scrmradio.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I also write. Uh, occasional movie reviews for thehorrorcist.com and uh, tnhorror.com. Yes. I have noticed the Horrorcist stuff. Um, actually, I've looked a couple of them. Yeah, he's, a, he's another guy who's pulled together a, uh, a team of individuals to create, uh, create some horror content there. So, mm. Yeah, the horror community is actually a lot bigger than I re- uh, realized when I first started doing this, I think. <laughs> and it's super cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, would you, do you have anyone to shout out to or anything? Uh, well, I'll shout out to, uh, since we were talking about Scream Radio, I'll shout out to Tracy. Um, you can actually find her on Twitter at T-R-A-C-E-E underscore T-R. Um, and you can find Scream Radio at S-C-R-M Radio on Twitter. Excellent. Cool. Now, I think that's uh, all your stuff, is it? 
I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I always forget things. So yeah. Yeah. It's uh, hard. It's getting difficult for me to keep up with too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So this week, I'm, my shout outs are going to be for, um, let's see. I'm going to shout out to Ember at the Fat Pod or Fiercely Older Podcast. Um, and yes, that joke is intentional. <laughs> and also, I'm going to shout out to All Bad Things. It's not that in a while. And finally, let's shout out to all the people at CrimeCon um, because I can't make it and I hope you enjoy yourselves. <laughs> oh, I was going to quick, quickly um, say about the Patreon stuff that I, uh, I changed around. So all, most, change, most things are the same. And you can look it up at patreon.com slash blood and rocks. And you can like, donate for as little as £1 a month and $1 a month. But um, yeah, what, basically what I've changed is the $3 and $10 tiers. Um, where I basically $3, I've taken out the stickers you receive and changed it for being able to receive early early release episodes, um, which well, like whenever possible, pretty much. Because I, and and I've changed that from uh, the $10 a month tier, just so um, just so it's bit, just so digital content is more affordable for people. And then all then physical merch and stuff got got pushed to the $10 tier, essentially. Makes things a bit, bit neater as well. And on that, we have social media. We've got email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. We have Twitter and Instagram at Bloody Rocks. We have Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and rocks. And we also have a Discord chat, which you can, which I post on uh, social media and stuff, and you can get quite easily. Or if you, uh, if you guys want me to just say the link, it's. Um... So on that, I think we're done. Isaac, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Glad to uh, be here. Yeah, I had a really good time talking to you. And so, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, and, and have a great week. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Went. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.